Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today's guest is a real humdinger. You know him for roles in Children of Men, Dirty Pretty Things, Kiki Boots, The Martian, and Doctor Strange. He was also nominated for Golden Globe Award and Oscar for his performance in 12 Years a Slave, and he was nominated for an Emmy Award for his performance in Dancing on the Edge. He wrote, directed, and acted in the film The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. It's the wonderful and talented Shuiatel Ejiofor. Shuiatel talks about starring with Charlize Theron in the new Netflix film The Old Guard. We also discuss immortality and how he longs for a place in the English countryside. He also opens up about his relationship working with Denzel Washington on the films Inside Man and American Gangster. Let's jump right into The Old Guard. I I saw it last night and I really loved it. Uh, For those who haven't seen it, can you tell us what it's about and who you play? So The Old Guard is about a group of immortal mercenaries um, who, um, you know, get themselves into numerous adventures through time and, um, and end up in the, in the contemporary world. And, uh, and me, my, uh, my character is Copley, who's an ex-CIA um, agent who has an interesting past of his own, uh, who, in, who engages them in, um, in an operation um, which you know, inevitably has um, twists and turns uh, that they have, to kind of, they, have to, they have to kind of wrestle with. So it's, um, you know, it's very exciting. Um, you know, it's based on, the, um, on, the, on the, the graphic novel by Greg Rucker, the same name. Uh, and it's a, a really great group of, um, of, of, of immortal characters, you know, with a good dash of, uh, of um, you know, sort of existential angst in the middle of it all. Yeah, I have to say, I think this that that duality of like the the existential part of it, like what would it be like, and the the action stuff is great. Um, I think it's fair to say your character tracks these immortal characters. I, I don't think that gives anything away. Um, but I'm wondering if immortal people actually existed today, and you can laugh. That sounds like a ridiculous question. It kind of is. Do you think they would have to exist in the shadows and be mercenaries, or do you think like someone could like walk into the UN's like, "Hello, everybody, I'm immortal. Let me tell you about the sins of the past." I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I think it'd be a tricky move. I think stories and mythology have always centered around immortality as a concept, you know, the sort of tree of life and all of this stuff. But, um, and the fountain of youth, you know, but the, um, but I think that when you dig, you know, a little deeper into it, into the kind of what the potential reality of all that is, what I think what really comes up is this really interesting question about the value of life. What do the value of life and therefore, you know, the area that we don't talk about very much in our culture is the value of death, essentially, and, and how the two things are what makes life so special is that it, 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 that it doesn't last, you know. It's the kind of good and bad news about being alive. And that, so exploring it in, in this way, you know, with these characters, a really interesting way of looking at, um, of, you know, how we live moment to moment and how we sort of value the experience of being alive. Yeah, I'd say um, something obviously you, you, you were well known for is in 2008, your performance of Othello, you won an Olivier Award for it. And obviously with Shakespeare's tragedies, we know the title character is going to die and it's the kind of the way with which that happens and unfolds in our eyes. And there's a humanist to that. Uh, obviously with immortal characters, I can't relate to that. I think most people can't. I'm wondering how did you guys go about finding that human, that the humanity in those characters or in those moments? Well, I think that for the characters, you know, that are 
you know, immortal. I think one of the things that is really strong about that is that it's such a complicated dynamic for them, you know, and I think that we all, so in a sense, I, I found like that these characters actually represented um, something that I felt was relatable. Um, and then also, I think that even as a kind of, you know, philosophical leap, you know, there was something quite relatable about these characters and their ideas and how they view their, um, their mortality. Um, I think that that, that sort of plays that plays really well you know it's it's kind of it's sort of interesting when you're because yes you're right that in that kind of traditional way when you look at Shakespearean tragedies and so on there is something that is sort of fatalistic about them and we're invested in how these things kind of come about um, and having characters that you know are able to escape death um, and then realizing at a very crucial point in the film that that can directly um, affect somebody in a way that is almost worse than dying, you know, much worse than dying, you know, um, is, uh, is a really kind of powerful uh, juxtaposition. You know, I, I, for one, you know, cause I watched the film, you know, I'd watched it before, but I watched it with a lot of family members and, you know, all that stuff when it came out and the, the sort of reaction to certain moments in the film, you know, when uh, the understanding of how much of a curse immortality could be is uh, was really sort of visceral and impactful you know and people sort of getting their head around that uh, yeah there's so much to unpack there but i i'm going to pivot to something a little less deep for just a second obviously the film also stars charlize theron i was like what is it like working with her what was that environment on the set like well she's fantastic you know and she's you know somebody who is um you know not only just a brilliant actress you know in her, in her own right but is somebody who is a great producer and a very hands-on producer then a very sort of engaging direct collaborator in the process um but also somebody who is you know who has this extraordinary physicality and brings this physicality to to her roles in a way that i think very 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 few people are able to um are able to do. Um, so when she's in, involved in kind of action, you know, she's able to express narrative through physicality. And I think that, that is something that is very rare. Um, and she does it sort of time and time again. And she does it in, in this film as well. And so she has, you know, she just reveals this extraordinary dedication to that. And, um, and I think it really carries those sequences. And so you don't feel like the film stops and then there's an action film, an action sequence. And then, you know, to be fair, you know, Kiki Lane does exactly the same sort of matches that, <laughs> yeah. that energy. And so the, um, so, you know, between the two leads of the film, you know, there's this real sense that the action carries forward the narrative, which is really, and that's, I think that's also, you know, to the credit of uh, Gina Prince-Bythewood, a fantastic director, um, mm -hmm. you know, who's really able to, um, to, to sort of tease out all of those dynamics in this great, great cast. So you were talking earlier about collaboration and someone you've collaborated with a couple times is Denzel Washington. And I recently just rewatched Inside Man and you guys have just an amazing on-screen chemistry. Uh, a, are you aware of that? And B, when you're acting with him, what is that relationship like? When you're first acting with somebody that's such a kind of living legend like Denzel Washington, you know you um, you know you're you're a fan. 
primarily, you know, you're you're there and you're thinking, you know, I, I love this guy, you know, I love him as an actor. I've grown up watching him, and um, you know, and obviously he's been a great inspiration for me. Um, and then I sort of have to put all of that aside, even though there's a little bit of overlap because I feel like those characters have a little bit of that dynamic as well. But mm -hmm. the um, you know that you kind of put a lot of that aside, and then you're kind of playing scenes and what you want to find is that you can really connect with another actor and that you can kind of play off each other and you find a way of understanding where the two characters are going to go, how you play, especially with that film, because we were doing a bit of improvisation and, um, and just really finding how you flow with somebody, you know, and, uh, and I found that with him that was incredibly straightforward, you know, because he is such a gifted, talented actor, but also, uh, you know, his improvisational quality was really exceptional. And <laughs> not just that it was great in the sort of drama, it was also fantastic in the humour of it, you know. Um, so there was a lot of fun to be had playing those scenes. You know, I was really inspired by Denzel. I think, I think he's really one of the most exceptional actors that, are, that ever were and, uh, and are. And so, um, you know, it, it was a real pleasure to, to make films with him a couple of times. Well, and, and not to sell yourself short, I mean, you've done some prolific work too. And uh, you've done obviously a ton of films like 12 Years a Slave, Love Actually, Kinky Boots, Doctor Strange. When people recognize you, is there one particular role they do or is there something they always say to you? It's so random at this point. You know, I, I just <laughs> cannot guess when somebody is approaching me and, you know, they want to, you know, take a picture or talk or whatever, you know, I cannot guess really at this point which film they're really kind of, being, uh, especially if they say, where do I know you from? Which is always oh, a funny, no. <laughs> it's an interesting moment. It's like, well, I, I don't know, you know. Although I did have one occasion where, I, where somebody said, where do I know you from? And it actually turned out to be somebody I went to primary school with. So I went through an entire <laughs> list of movies. He was You're like, like right. I don't think so. <laughs> You're like, okay, no, braggart. No, <laughs> and then uh, at the end, he was like, no, Mrs. Valentine's class. It's like, hey. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so the name of this podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. And I'm curious, what are you currently obsessed with? You know, I have found myself because of, um, you know, the nature of lockdown and the nature of these things, you know, looking outwards a little bit more, you know, and who knows how long these things will last. And maybe it's just a phase that we're all kind of going through that we look at the kind of more rural abodes and think, <laughs> I can live in the countryside. You know, doesn't look so bad, you know, like, especially when you get the kind of almost postcards from people in their lockdowns, you know, in fields and, you know, uh, you know enjoying their, their lives in this sort of wonderful free way, you know, that you think, ah, the envy. So, um, so I'm currently sort of obsessed with a sort of area of the, um, of the, of the UK, of England, a bit of a countryside called the Cotswolds where a lot of people, to be fair, a lot of people live in the Cotswolds. It's a very well-known part and beautiful part of the countryside. Uh, but I, for my sins, have not spent a lot of time there, you know, uh, in, my, in my life. Like I've visited people occasionally, maybe the odd weekend here and there, and I've become kind of obsessed with how kind of beautiful it is and how distant from the, the sort of <laughs> noise, sounds, energies of the major cities 
Um, so, uh, like I said, we'll see how long this lasts, but I am mm-hmm. currently a little obsessed with the English countryside. I say, as someone who lives in San Francisco, I totally understand what you're saying right now. <laughs> I would love to go to the English countryside. Um, look, so you've, you've worked with some of the absolute best filmmakers in our time. Spike Lee, Alfonso Cuaron, uh, Ridley Scott, Steve McQueen, Woody Allen, Steven Spielberg. Uh, what have you learned from working with them? Um, wow, that's a that's a great question. It's it's um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it's, um, it's hard to answer. You know, uh, I think that I've learned so much from working with with uh, with these great filmmakers. I've been so privileged to be to have the best seat in the house. You know, the best seat in the house, just sort of sitting there watching things being kind of created of. of um, being able to observe how moments are put together and then see how those moments impact the actual um, the, the film. How, you know, just the struggles of how things are realized and then the kind of poetry at the, at the heart of it. You know, I've really been able to sort of sit and, um, and I think in the company of really great artists, um, look at the kind of visual poetry of of the cinematic experience and um, and the you know and the difficulty of of achieving it you know uh, I think that in a way is um, sometimes the bit that uh, a lot of people maybe watching and engaging with the film don't realize as much you know just how much of a struggle it is to find those kind of moments that connect those um, those moments of of, uh, of beauty how much of a kind of um, you know pushing the rock uphill. Um, so many directors have to do, all directors really have to do. Um, and some of them are lucky enough to have, you know, beautiful results. And sometimes you have to have the moment where everybody looks at you like you're crazy, you know, and then you, <laughs> then you know that you might be onto something, you know. Uh, and I think that that is, uh, I think that's something that a lot of great, great artists, not just filmmakers, but great artists really share that, uh, that they, they long for the moment when everybody throws their hands up and walks out the room, you know, because they think, well, that's it then, you know, I've got it. Well, I said last year you wrote, directed, and starred in The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. Did you have moments like that? That was your first feature film uh, as a director. Yeah. Did you have moments like that? Yeah, I had. I definitely had moments where I felt compelled to do things with the film that people thought were... Uh, maybe a bridge too far, you know, that um, I wanted to make the film in, um, in in Malawi. I wanted to make the film in all of the locations. I wanted to direct the film, but I also wanted to um, play, try well, and learn another language whilst I was doing it. And, um, you know, and the... Uh, and, I, and there were there were moments where people sort of had to tap me on the shoulder and say, you know, are you entirely sure about all this? And uh, <laughs> but it was it was the vision that I had for the film. I, I felt like the film could work in this in this way. And um, and what I had learned, and that's to your point before, you know, what I'd learned, the experiences that I'd had with uh, with other filmmakers had made me feel confident that um, that certain things are, were achievable, even if they hadn't really been tried exactly in this way before, but they just had to be, be pushed for. And I had an extraordinary creative team, you know, because the other thing is that that is what you need. You know, you need people who are prepared to kind of get on board with your vision and then really push for your vision, you know, and, uh, and sometimes push you when you feel like maybe I have bitten off more than I can chew. <laughs> they say, no way, you know, we're going through with this. And do you think you'd ever want to make a, another feature film again? Is that something you're planning on doing or hoping to do? 
Yeah, for sure. You know, I think it's always about stories and about narrative, about what what you feel you can um, what you feel you can bring to a story. You know, and that's why you know it's sort of I really feel that everybody has a story to tell. You know, uh, everybody has a film. It's like people say, you know, everybody has their one book in them. You know, but I feel like everybody has several books in them and several films in them. You know. That, um, that everybody's story is, is so individual and there are so many lessons to learn from the way everybody, every one of us has approached our, our lives, you know. Uh, of course, some of those things overlap, so some of them don't, but they are, there are so many um, individual choices that we've all kind of made and individual struggles that we've all had. And so, and I, and I think that the expression through um, cinema is a, is, a, is a wonderful way of, uh, of engaging with that. It's a form of, of self-expression and self-exploration, you know, yes, but it's in this wonderful kind of uh, visual narrative style. Do you ever wonder how, um, what we're going through right now with COVID-19, how that's gonna affect making films in the future, whether it's a, a big one, like a Marvel film or um, an independent film? You know, I hope that there's no sort of, in a way, I think there's no very literal sense of, um, of all of this in films for the next you know, 15, 20 years, people wearing masks and socially distancing. But I feel like that what it has meant in terms of, um, of, of the way that we've been able to just sort of catch a glimpse at our world, you know, at our way of living, you know, from a slightly different perspective all of a sudden has been really remarkably informative and the way that we've been able to connect a bit fuller because we've had this little bit of space to do that i think has really had a profound impact on uh, on uh, on a lot of people that i know uh, and so i feel like that is going to that those sorts of realizations are going to filter into um into cinema into the kind of artistic world and i think very interesting ways So as we wrap up here, I do a thing called pick one where I give you a couple of choices and you pick one. It doesn't mean one is better than the other. The idea is just to cover a lot of topics and you talk about it. So I'd like to pay, play pick one. And the first one I have is theater or film. Oh, well, that's- talk, um... You can talk it out, you can talk it out. <laughs> Ooh, okay, let me rationalize this. Okay, here yeah. we go, I'm sweating. Okay, so uh, pick one, theater or film. So I, um, I think for a lot of my life, I would say theater undoubtedly because I you know I started in theatre and I and I um, and I um, you know I fell in love with uh, acting in theatre and um, and I you know was able to communicate find that form of self-expression and expression broadly and uh, uh, and all of that happened in the theatre as, as well as the kind of love of literature and and all of those things uh, that sort of you know had this kind of um, a really profound effect on me when I was when I was growing up um, a very central effect um, I think uh, later on in life, I started to develop a love for the poetry of, of cinema and, and film. And so in this period of my life, I would say that film has become the, um, the real kind of central aspect of, of, of the way that I work and the way that I think. Um, however, I don't know if that's going to be the end of the story in terms of that, that, that dynamic. And so, um, so I'm, I'm interested as well to carry on sort of obviously being in theatre and looking at theatre and, uh, and uh, being involved in theatre and maybe that will take on um, a sort of more profound and urgent meaning in, in time. But at this particular junction, I think that I am very invested in, in cinema. 
And it's easier to probably film cinema when you're in the, in the countryside too, I think, probably than theater. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one. Um, the character Doctor Strange or the character Wong? Well, you know, the um, I think that the my history, the thing is, my history with Benedict with Benedict Wong, the, of the two Benedicts, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> the two of Benedicts, the two yeah. Benedicts. <laughs> you got it, you got it. You figured it out. <laughs> I have a very long, I mean, I have a very long history with both Benedicts as well, which is, uh, which is makes it even more confusing. But I did a film called, you know, I, when I did Dirty Pretty Things, you know, I did it with Benedict Wong. And it was the first, I mean, I was, it was a, a film that I was able to be, you know, the lead in. It was a really important film in terms of my, a relationship to cinema, and uh, and you know, and I met this really brilliant actor, Benedict Wong, and we had a fantastic time together working on working on that film. So we became very very close friends, and and years later, we were able to do another film, The Martian, uh, Ridley Scott's film, and so we were you know again just really sort of excited to you know both be there doing this film and this kind of. And then, you know, a little while later, we were both able to do, um, you know, Doctor Strange, and uh, and we and we were actually talking about, you know, Wong for Wong. We were going to start the Wong for Wong, <laughs> you know, and, um, and so we were talking one day over lunch about it, and lo and behold, it came to be that uh, that Benedict uh, played played Wong, and so. So I would say that I have that because of that history, because of that specific history and those really great parts that we've been able to play together. I'm so excited about, about that relationship. I'd say there's no right answers, but that is the right answer. Um, <laughs> next one, high heels or kinky boots? Oh, now we're really into the deep <laughs> stuff here. Now, let's talk now. Um, well, you know, um, <clears throat> I would say that, uh, you know, I've been very, you know, I've been fortunate in my life, you know, to um, to be able to do a lot of different films. Uh, and I've done, you know, a bit of stunt work. You know, I'm not Tom Cruise, you know what I mean? I'm not <laughs> hanging out of airplanes, but I feel I can say that I've done my own stunts a few times, you know. But dancing in high heels, like in those kinky boots, you know, on that runway, was probably the only time I was genuinely scared for my life because I was so aware that the actual, the distance to the ground from these sort of six inch heels, you know, was so, felt so far. Um, and the kind of pain that I felt I would be in, you know, and the kind of stilettos around me, you know, just really terrified me. So I feel like I couldn't imagine, you know, I think there was a time, you know, when they, when there's, in the show, the, the musical was coming around, you know, but there was some conversation, you know, I don't know, it was very, the very beginnings of a conversation as to whether I might be interested in revisiting this character. And it just terrified me so completely, the idea of being in those heels again, but now on stage, you know, in front of, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of people and trying to sort of dance and move. And, uh, and it just took me back to the fear that I felt. So, so whenever, you know, uh, those kind of, those kinky boots are mentioned, you know, I, I feel like I have a real connection to the character. I had a wonderful time playing Lola, you know, an amazing time, you know, trying to explore this character. But I also feel like this real sense of, of, of terror at, um, at, those, at those, those boots and what they could have done. Yeah, okay, so the last one I have is uh, the original Lion King movie, the Broadway musical Lion King, or the newer CGI Lion King movie. 
all fantastic, all fantastic. You know, um, you know, I'm in the uh, the CGI. The, the I know. <laughs> so, um, so I kind of have to go with that, you know. But the uh, but that is suffice to say, you know, I um, you know I always think of myself as being a child, you know, when I watched. Um, when I watched The Lion King for the first time, and um, and I and I because I because it holds such a special place in my heart, and this idea of the kind of memory of youth, the um, that sort of mystical place, um, and I constantly have to remind myself that I was seventeen when it came out. You know, I was not a kid by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I was a young adult in a way, um, but it was still, but it made me feel like a child, I guess, and that's why that memory of it is so strong. I was so lost in that in the world of it. You know, and you know, and I saw the stage production, which again I thought was amazing. So I was thrilled to get the opportunity to um, to uh, to be part of that and to be part of that extraordinary, rich legacy of the, of the film, and in such a fascinating and uh, remarkable visual um, visual way that um, that I think has really created a sort of new chapter in how we look at. CGI, how we think about animation, even you know, and um, and something really profound uh, happened in that in that space. And so, um, um, so I would say that I would say the the, the latest, um, but uh, with all of those caveats, the others are brilliant. I just want to say thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you, pleasure. I want to thank Chewy Attell for chatting with me. And I want to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this interview, take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. If you really like this episode, please take time and rate us. And until next week, take care.